Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We looked at James a couple weeks ago, and it talked about a visible faith. James was telling the church, of saying, look, it's one thing to say you go to church and have the bumper stickers and the, sh- and the t-shirts and the and the Facebook post, those, that, that's great and fine, but it's important that we have a visible faith. In other words, that our actions meet up with the words that we say. And so he takes that thought one step further as we move into chapter 2. And he says basically that favoritism is wrong. And we talk about the fact that a little mercy goes a long way. A little mercy goes a long way. You see... Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Think about that just one second. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve punishment for our rebellion and for our sin and for our desire to live our life apart from God. That is what we deserve. But it is grace. That he doesn't give that to us because of his mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Mercy is what Jesus came to do for us on the cross. Jesus is what his blood covered. Your sins and my sins through his mercy. We didn't have a shot. But because of God's mercy, we do. So this morning, James moves to a more practical application of biblical truth. As believers in Jesus Christ which is all of us, all of us who are Christians are believers in Jesus Christ. And I may have said this to some of you before, but maybe this is the first time you heard it. But do you know what Christian means? Christian means little Christs. And when that term was first brought together, it was by people making fun of those that are following Jesus. They said, oh, look at those little Christs walking around. But I'll tell you what, I'm glad to be a Christian. I proclaim to be a Christian. And that's why we are here today is to worship the Lord. And if you are not a Christian, you are welcome here. And and it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit, whether you are watching by video or whether you are here today, that God will reach your heart because all of us need mercy. And we must multiply the mercy that he's given or we, we must share the mercy that he has given us and multiply that to others. Yeah, believe it or not, those who claim Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord should treat others the way Jesus would treat him. Again, I've said this before. There are, there are people that I've ran across in my life, and maybe you have too, where they will tell you how good of a Christian they are. And it almost takes effort for me not for my stomach to turn because I know the way they live. Now, I'm not being judgmental because I am not perfect like anybody else. But, folks, when our actions do not match up with what we claim, people can see that. I remember in youth ministry, that was the one scary thing about youth ministry. With adults, some people can kind of fake it some of the time. But with youth, they see right through that stuff. And they can tell whether someone is genuine or not. And as you get older, you can too. And so we're looking for people that are genuine. But... We must be vocal about our faith, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many times do you have to watch the news today and see people with megaphones and 
crowds and signs that are spewing hate after hate after hate over a multitude of social beliefs and social ideologies. Where's the love? Where's the gospel? I mean, we're... We're preaching it and we're listening to it today, but we need to take it outside of these walls. You see, we proclaim that we are sinners in need of God's mercy and for forgiveness of those sins. We must admit our need for Jesus to come into our lives and forgive us and empower us to live the life that God has called us to. And that's not a one-time thing. Don't get me wrong. When you become a Christian, you are saved, saved, saved. The Bible says that they are my sheep. I know their name and no one can snatch them out of my hand. I got that. But salvation is a one-time experience, but it's a lifelong process of something the Bible calls sanctification. Go to somebody this week and say, I learned a big Bible word called sanctification. Can you say sanctification? There you go. You just said a church word. But sanctification is a process of, of being becoming holy, being set apart, learning about this faith that we've gotten. And as it grows, we become more like God. So the thing is, is that we need to be verbal about this. Now, I've shared with this sometimes before, and I've, some people have taken me up on it. And it has, believe it or not, changed their lives. And I challenge you with the same thing. Do you know what your testimony is? Do you know what your testimony is? Now, you know that, that as a pastor, I can stand in the pulpit and I can talk in front of people. But what is your testimony? There are three simple parts of a testimony. Number one, your life before you met Christ. How you met Christ and how your life is different since that time. Those are three statements that if you were to spend a little effort writing it out or typing it out on your phone, whatever you need to do, but come up with three statements that last about a minute and a half each, you would have your testimony. Now, some of you, you're not going to have a whole lot of my life before Christ. You were never in a motorcycle gang. You were never climbing the Himalayas. You were never doing all of these great things and, and all of those sex, drugs, and rock and roll testimonies that you hear. And that's fine. There's just as much power out of what God has kept you from than what God has delivered you from. But the thing is, is that you say, this is my life before Christ. It may be a little bit or it may be a lot. I don't know. But then you have how you met Christ. And then you have your life, how it's different. Now, there may be different portions, but if you could spend some time this week just thinking, just like I said, just type it on your phone or, or write it on a sheet of paper. This is what these are my three points. You would have a testimony that is powerful because you are speaking of the name of Jesus. If you don't know any verses to put on there, look a couple up. But if you if you can't remember them when you're sharing it, that's OK, because here's the thing. Is that you are a life that Jesus Christ has has changed. And now I know some of you think, oh, preacher, my life, I'm on the other end of the spectrum here. There's not much I can do. Folks, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. If you have a story, you need to share it. Some of our younger folks in our church need to hear what it was like when it was tough growing up and being a Christian. Some of our folks that are younger don't know what it's like to have to eat dandelion soup because that's all y'all could afford. So they don't understand it. And, and 
you know, we need to hear those things. We need to hear what Christ has done in your life. And there is a, a world of people right now that they are listening to what anybody has to say, but they're listening to the wrong message. Because we can talk about how spiritual we are and spend every waking moment in Bible study, but if we do not treat people the way Jesus treated them, then we are just religious, just like the Pharisees of the Bible. We will be empty and fake. Notice what James chapter 2 says in verse 1. He says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and has dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show you that your judgments are guided by evil motives? I would like to say that that does not happen in churches, but it happens every single time the doors are open. Some of you have been the subject of someone that either has looked over you or ran to come talk to you. And I pray that no one would ever say that this pastor or anybody in this church would do it. But we are human and it could happen. But I pray not because this saying here that everybody matters. See, there's a myth out there. There's a myth that looking down on others will make us feel better about ourselves. It's just like middle school. Y'all remember middle school? Some of you, that was a long time ago. Some of you, it's still fresh on your mind. And some of you, it's about to hit you. But middle school was like, if I can make fun of somebody else, it's going to make me look better, right? No. It just makes you look more pathetic. If you have to pick on somebody to make yourself feel better, you are the one that's got self-esteem issues and belief issues. But that's a myth. We live in a divided world. Folks, everyone is looking for a way to differentiate themselves from the others. It is no longer cool to be fundamental. It is no longer cool to be conservative. Now everybody's got to be woke. Are y'all woke? Some of you are struggling, I know. I know, it's 1030 in the morning, but the thing is, is that the woke that we're, they're talking about is not the is sleep. Woke is, you need to believe the way we believe. But yet the thing is, is that if you believe this group is woke, then this group tells you you're not woke. But the thing is, is that I want to be woke to the gospel of Jesus Christ because these movements have changed and gone back and forth since the beginning of time. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if you want to live and you want to do something that separates you from everybody else, live the life of a Christian because it's not easy. If it was, everybody would be doing it. And when you do live life as a Christian, you have the power of God in your life. Looking down on others is showing favoritism. See, James is taking issues with Christians of the day that thought that they were better than others. But see, the world we live in will evaluate you and judge you, on the, and others will judge you every day. Isn't it amazing how things that were right one day are not right the next you know, before you know it, I mean, if you just, if you hear on TV that there are TV shows that are being now censored for social content, before you know it, the Brady Bunch will have a warning label on it. 
You know, they're going back to all these old shows and saying, look, that was terrible during that time. We need to fix that now. But where does it stop? What is right for somebody is not right for the other. When people are more concerned about what it might socially do to somebody than the actual images and language they use on the screen. Come on. And, and there are people that I remember there were there's a few people, whether it be in jobs or celebrities or whatever, there's this thing called Twitter. You ever heard about it? Some of you older folks may have heard a little about it. Our president loves it. He loves to tweet. And some of you may not tweet. Some of you may tweet. I don't know. I'm a tweeter occasionally. But the thing is, is that there are things that people have written years ago. Written. That's terrible English. Written. Those are things that people have written years ago, seven, eight years ago, that people are finding and saying, oh, that's terrible. And they're losing their jobs. They're losing friends. Because what they said seven years ago when they didn't know what they were doing is now coming back to haunt them because the, the cycle has changed. You see, our, our world does not have an example of right and wrong anymore. People do not believe the Bible and what it says. They are leaving it to their own interpretations and what the politicians say and what the special inter- interest groups say and what the Facebook groups say. That's, that's the authority nowadays. It's just like when you went to school. And it just, whoever was cool, that depended the way everybody else acted, right? People have gotten away from the word, and so there is a, people don't know how to act because we have come so far from the word. But what we see here is that when we treat others differently, we need to remember this. Money isn't everything, so why do we act like it? Money isn't everything, so why do we act like it? It's not just Rich people trying to get more money. It's poor people trying to get money fast, whether it be through a lottery or through crime or through embezzlement. I mean, you don't have to be rich to have the love of money. Right? I mean, for those that, that spend all of their money on themselves and none on the, none, none on the church or, or none on the mission of Christ, that is someone who's struggling with money. But there has always been an imbalance of wealth in this world. And we would like to say that's not the case, but too often in this world, someone with money is often treated better than someone who is not. <clears throat> but don't get me wrong. Being rich is not a sin. Just like if you're poor, it doesn't mean you're spiritual. In the world, there will always be an imbalance of wealth. But the, here's the great thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it is for the rich and it is for the poor as well. What do, what do rich people struggle with when it comes to spiritual life? Well, the prominent preacher J. Vernon McGee says it's hard for a rich person to identify with Jesus. Well, why is that? Well, Jesus was on earth, but he was not from a rich or prominent family. He was the son of a carpenter. He was the average blue-collar worker that the average man could identify with, but those that were better than somebody, richer than somebody, had a problem Identifying with him. He had to borrow an animal to ride into Jerusalem because he didn't have his own transportation. For his triumphal, triumphant entry, he had to borrow somebody's animal. He was buried in a tomb that wasn't even his. It was borrowed. And rich people find it hard to see their need for Jesus because they think they already have everything that they need. I've never seen a U-Haul tied to a hearse. You can't take it with you. But even the poor, the the poor, sometimes they struggle to think that their world would be better if they just had a little more money. 
<laughs> I can remember when I was single many years ago, and I had I had a few jobs, and I had amassed a little checking account, and I thought, well, I got I got my money. Y'all know where I'm headed with this, right? I had my money. If I wanted to go get a little CD player, I could get CD players are things that used to play music, kids. Okay, I could. I could go get a CD player, or actually back then I was getting cassette tapes. Yeah. You know, where if you had to cue it, you had to get a pencil out and, and roll it to, to make sure you get to the right place. Y'all, that's third world problems, I know. But the truth of the matter is, is that I remember when I had that money, I thought, well, I got all the money I need. Then I got married. And it wasn't my money anymore. It was our money. Now, I'm, I'm very grateful for my wife. She is not an extravagant lady. We, we try our best to live within our means, but the thought of me having my money and my way was over from the moment I said I do. And do I regret it? Not one bit. Not one bit. But I do think that I learned a valuable lesson. I can't control my money. I can control my priorities. And then that will dictate what I do with money. Don't let money control you, folks, whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. Some of you, you had your retirements and stocks, and it took a massive hit a couple months ago. It'll bounce back. But if your faith is in that stuff, it's going to be a struggle. Well, we also see that we should show mercy just like we received it. It says in verse 5, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Aren't the ones who will inherit the kingdom of the promise to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it's good when you obey the royal law. As found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws, except one, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. We need to remember that, folks. There is not one unforgivable sin other than denying Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. There are some sins that people act like that they are the worst sins in the world that will send people straight to hell. But the only thing that will send people straight to hell is a denial of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And I will say, if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're not going to want to do those things. But what he's telling these folks that were so proud of themselves for keeping the, the, the royal law, he was saying, look, if you break this law, you're just as guilty as someone who breaks all of them. He says in verse 11, For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder, do not commit adultery, you still have broken the law. Look, I know that there are some big sins out there, but lying is just as big. Don't become someone you would hate. Don't become someone you hate because withholding mercy to others because others have withheld it from you is counterproductive. If you're that person who says, look, that person didn't help me when I'm down and I'm not even going to lift a finger to help him. How does that help? How does that help the situation? You see, there is nothing wrong with wanting to better yourself, but not at the expense of someone else. But when we try to emulate anyone or anything other than Christ, we become a part of favoritism's problem. 
Then we see he says in verse, verses 8 through 11, what is the royal law? That sounds good, right? The royal law. The royal law was this. The royal law was love your neighbor as yourself. If you remember the greatest commandment, Matthew 2, 37 through 39, the Pharisees said, of all the Ten Commandments, which is the greatest one of those? It's kind of like if you had ten children, someone asking a parent, which one's your favorite child? You can't answer that. They were hoping that if Jesus would answer one is greater than the other, then the others wouldn't be as important. It was a trap. And instead, Jesus encapsulated all ten with the two statements. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment. That's God's royal law. Yes, think of your neighbors. Folks, your neighbors would be a great start. Just in our neighborhood alone, we have had probably three or four homes get new neighbors. I need to be out there introducing myself to them. We need to be out walking around and talking to people. We don't have to have a a 50-pound Bible in our hand and hitting them over the head with it. But we do have to be out and start loving our neighbors and getting to know them and represent Christ to them. So think of your neighbors. One of our greatest witnessing fields could be the homes that are around us. How do you look at those people that are in your neighborhood? Better yet, how do you think God looks at them? You see, James is reminding you and I of the fact that we are not perfect like we think we are. We all are in need of mercy. Folks, how can you show mercy like the mercy God has shown you? Here, this is the question. How can you show mercy to others that God has shown you? We need to stop focusing on external things. What people wear, what label is on their accessories, what kind of car they drive, what kind of hairdo they've got, or or what kind of phone they have, and, and all of this kind of stuff like that. We need to quit worrying about external things. You see, a few years ago, there was a young man that out of nowhere, out of nowhere, I mean, we were just out of nowhere. Do you get what I'm saying? A young man out of nowhere started coming to our church. He came in on a Wednesday night adult Bible study. And the the median age of that group went way down when he came in. We thought he was lost. And he came in. And he listened. And he talked with us. And And God started working in his life. And he made a dedication to the Lord. And it was amazing. I said, dude. Why in the world would you, I mean, you're young, why, why are you here? And he said, well, years ago, I came to visit, and Pastor Larry Cox was preaching. And he was talking about the fact that it doesn't matter if you have t-shirts, or jeans, or tucked out shirts, or rags, or the best clothes there are out on you. It doesn't matter what you wear, you are welcome in church. It was that statement that brought him here. It was that statement of saying that favoritism is not a part of Holman Park Baptist Church that brought that young man here. And that young man did amazing things for the Lord. And then unfortunately, his life was ended too soon. It was Reba's grandson, Chase Dean. We still want to, we, we don't understand why it happened like this, but thank God that we had a church that had a few months 
to be able to reach out to that young man. So if Chase is listening, I want to tell him and I want to tell every one of you, I don't care what you've got on your back, on your feet, on your hair, in your car, or if you've got to walk or whatever you have to do. We are all children of God and we are all welcome here. And favoritism, if our church ever exercises that, we are sinning and we need to be judged for it. Because you never know, there may be that one that will come in and remember you know, I remember that home in Park Baptist Church. You can wear whatever you want. I'm going to come to that church. And I pray we never lose that. We need to stop focusing on external things. We don't need to make quick assessments about people that we don't even know. And we need to evaluate the motives of how we treat other people. And then the third thing is, you will be judged by the mercy you show. You will be judged by the mercy you show. So whatever you say, it says verse 12, so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Folks, do not fall into the trap of living like there will be no judgment. The reason our world is in the situation it is today, and the reason churches are so impotent today in their power is not because of Christ, it's because we're living like there is no judgment and there is no hell. We're living like this is a game, but there are no respawns, there are no do-overs. They're not going to drop the lowest grade. When Jesus Christ comes back, we will be judged So don't fall into the trap of thinking that's not happening. I think of that child that was never disciplined when growing up. Then they enlist in the military and they get a rude awakening when they meet their drill instructor. That's going to be us. If we think that everything in life is supposed to be handed to us, if we think that that Christianity is just coming, singing a few songs, listen to a red-faced preacher talk for a few minutes, and then go out and eat some lunch, if that's all Christianity is, we are in for a rude awakening. How can we not show mercy to others when we are in such dire need of it ourselves? Because there will be consequences in the way that we treat others. 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we all must stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. You can't blame your mama. You can't blame your daddy. You can't blame your preacher. You can't blame your dog. You can't blame your cat. You can't blame anybody. You have to take ownership of how you treat others now because that will be the measure by which you are judged and I am judged. So remember that you are no less a sinner than somebody else. I'll tell you right now, I have pastor in my title. My name is out on the, on the marquee out there. I, I'm very humbled, and I can't believe it sometimes when I, when I go by that. I, I do not feel qualified to be here. But what qualifies me is God has called me. And for some reason, y'all listen. And I praise God for that. But I am just as much a sinner as you. And I have to deal with my sin, and I have to approach God and ask for forgiveness. My sins may not be your sins. Your sins may not be my sins. But as the Bible said, there's not one that's greater than the other. They are all falling short of God's glory. And remember the mercy that God shows you on a daily basis. 
When God took this, this teenager that was so confused many years ago and put his life in order when it was spinning out of control, if he could do that for me, what makes me think that he can't do it for somebody else? Remember the impact that you have had on others when you showed mercy to them. You see, our relationship with God and our relationship with others will thrive when you and I can receive God's mercy and share it with others. Because God's mercy is inexhaustible. Some of you may be in need of God's mercy this morning. Some of you watching this video, you may want God's mercy this morning. But as a Christian, showing the same amount of mercy that God has shown you will go a long way to improve life in this world, one relationship at a time. If you're that person that sees what's going on in the television and in the news and on social media, and you get with your friends and talk about how bad it is and what government ought to do, you've missed the whole point. It's almost like back in the biblical days, people are looking for Caesar to save them rather than Jesus. The government was not installed to save you from your sins. That's only Jesus Christ. How much differently would our world look if we started giving mercy? It may be impossible, but how would your life work differently and look differently if you applied this? You can't do it alone. Again, the mercy we share is the mercy God has given us. So let me tell you what. If you are a victim of favoritism, if you have been in the eye of other people and they have looked down on you, your salvation can be today. Do not let the scars of what have happened to you in your past keep you from experiencing God's love now and forever. I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to that have been wounded and scarred and had knives put in their back by people that called themselves the church. It's sad. But churches are way meaner than the world. Some of you have been a victim of that. Some of you have been the perpetrators of that. But there are some, and you may have some in your family, that you'll, they'll tell you, look, I'm not going to go to church because of what happened to me and so-and-so. Now, look, hey, they have a right to say that, but it, at the end of the day, they will be judged by what they've done with Jesus Christ. Let's not give people a reason to not come to church. Let's show mercy. Let's show the mercy that God has shown us because God shows you mercy today so that you can show it to others. Don't withhold your mercy from someone because God withheld none of that from you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for James instructing us on how we must treat one another. And Lord, if there's someone here today that is in need of mercy, in need of forgiveness, in need of starting over, in need of having a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they come to me and they say, look, I want to pray. I want to know that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. I want to receive that mercy that this scripture talks about. Or maybe there's someone here today that has not shown mercy and they realize that. May they confess that to you today and decide that today is the last day they withhold mercy from anyone because you have, hold, you have held no, withheld no mercy from us, Lord. So, Lord, if someone wants to make a decision to follow you or to rededicate, whatever their decision may be, 
May they see me afterwards, Lord, and we will pray with them, and they will be right before they leave. If there's someone watching this video, they can contact through the comments or through a message, and uh, we will gladly follow up with them. But thank you for this day, and thank you for this worship service, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.